Before I read this passage to you, let me just remind you or inform you, whichever, of what all's included in this letter, what all's going on that Paul's thinking about that's on his head as he writes this letter to Timothy. We know that there are many who have compromised their faith and are having to be disciplined. We know that one family is grieving from the father of the family dying. We know that he has a fellow believer that he stayed with, and when he was arrested, this person was sick, and he has no idea of his condition. Demas has left the faith and has gone out into the world that he loves. Timothy is hard-pressed, and he's feeling the pressure of his mission, and Paul knows his days are numbered. He'll be dying in a few weeks, months at the most, and all that's on his mind as he writes this letter to his dear son in the faith, Timothy. And what he knows is... All the pressure that led to Paul being on death row right now is radiating around the kingdom, the empire of Rome, and every person who's a faithful Christian is being threatened by this same pressure. And most certainly, Timothy, this son in the faith to Paul, is right in line with the threat. So Paul knows he's dying, and he's not second-guessing his death, and he's not... He's not worried about his death, but he has a son he's leaving behind who's going to have to still live with this pressure for years to come. And he doesn't have the experience of the faith that Paul does. Paul's been through this stuff before, and he's learned God, God's with his people. We serve a God who sticks with his people through this stuff. He knows that, but Timothy hasn't seen it quite like Paul has. And so Paul has a little bit of worry about the next generation. Any of you older people worried a little bit about the next generation's ex experience of faith that's coming? Are you a little bit concerned about their fortitude and their perseverance? That's what Paul's writing about. And he's coming up with everything he can think of to bolster Timothy because Timothy needs as much strength as he can, as much resolve as he can, and he's writing from his heart. And what I know is I'm writing to a group of people that I know at least one of you has lost your job this week. Suddenly, I know that there's somebody here who's got cancer and probably not going to survive it. I know that there are others who are going through chemo, and I've gotten a text this week, many maybe of you have too, from Sandra Lamberson saying, how do, we, how do we sustain ourselves in this? This is hard. We've got all sorts of scenarios out there, very similar to what Paul's experiencing. They, we need this letter today. We need 2 Timothy today. And I, I want to describe for you just a few verses that, uh, what Paul starts doing at the very front. The first thing he does, and as I read this, listen for the remember words. The remember words. They're all the way through this, and I want you to listen for them. Don't just hear this as a Bible reading. Hear this listening for the remember the remember, because that's what we're going to do today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. One way we remember each other is praying for each other. Just remember that. Remember that. Remember that, that you remember as you pray. 
As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Timothy, let me help you remember Timothy, just indulge me a moment. I'm in shackles. Uh, You see white hair, long white hair and a beard. And you see eyes as he looks kind of back. He's tilted back like this. And his eyes gloss over because he's not looking at anything. He's looking back in his mind to memories. And he says, Timothy, go with me for a moment. Let's remember together something. I'm going to wax nostalgic in this letter because you need to remember. (coughs) And you need to remember, church. You need to remember, (coughs) excuse me, what does Paul remember? He remembers his call. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, he's thinking back to the Damascus Road. Do you remember this? You remember this? The Damascus Road, he's, he's killing Christians and suddenly, boom, he stopped. And Jesus himself, the risen Lord, confronts him and changes him. And he's never forgotten from that day forward his purpose for living on this earth to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And, he, and because of him, y'all, we're meeting up here on this hill today. He's our apostle. It's because of him. And he's remembering his call, but not just his. He's remembering Timothy's. Timothy, I want you to know the reason you're in Ephesus is I, an apostle of Jesus, and listen, there are no apostles today. You will run across apostolic churches, and I have no idea what they're meaning They have apostles, and I'm like, what? There were 12 and then 13, but there's not any more. There's nothing like an apostle today. An elder is not like an apostle. A preacher is not. The apostles are once for all time, but man, they were heavy-duty authority. And when they gave a commission to the next generation, that was... So Timothy, I remember laying my hands on you. I remember leaving you in Ephesus to do this job, and I know it's been hard for you, but listen, that's your mission That's your job. So Paul remembers, I remember. I remember why we're here. And I want to ask you this, why are you here? Why are you on this hill? Why did you go to the trouble of getting all that stuff on so early on Sunday morning when everybody's sleeping in? Listen, I like you and I get encouragement from you, but you're not why I'm here. God called us here. And if you ever forget that, You will lose the energy it takes to get yourself up and get yourself on top of this hill. You will lose it. It better be more than just, well, those people are friendly. Because you know what? When it gets wintertime and snowy, those friendly people aren't going to compel you to get out of bed. I promise you they won't. God will. Paul knows he's in this for God, and you better be in this for God. You better not be in this for people or for churches or for neat, cool experiences. You better be in this for God. Or Listen, it's not going to hold up when the death row people come calling. It's not going to hold up. Remember something else. He remembers his heritage of faith, his life in the faith. He doesn't name his ancestors, but Paul must have many 
He's in a long line of Jewish people who followed the will of God where it led, and it led to Paul who switched to Christianity, but it was a progression. It is just the renewed Judaism. He has a heritage of faithfulness, and he cherishes it. And everywhere he goes, he remembers it. There are people, as you walk along, there are people back behind you, dead and gone, but their faith is what gave you your faith, and that gives you the staying power. It has a power today for you. And you know what Timothy does too? Paul says, I remember on that first missionary journey, I sat at the table of your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice was there, and you were running around the house, but you were listening. I saw you behind the door, and we were talking about the Jewish faith and how it led to Jesus, and your parents, your grandmother, and your mother believed. I don't know about your father. I don't even know where Timothy's father was. Nobody have ever heard of him, and so Paul became his father. And that heritage is heavy. It's heavy enough to endure the onslaught of doubt that the world throws at you. But you better keep it. Now, not all of you can say you have generations of faithfulness. But listen, if you don't, you need to create one for your children. So start getting at it. Start building that foundation because that foundation is going to serve them. There are going to be weeks. There are going to be moments when you would give up except for you cannot forsake your heritage. And then he remembers his interactions with Timothy. Timothy, you were young on the second missionary journey, and you came up to me, and, and everybody bragged about your faithfulness, and, we, and you said, you, and I sitting there, I saw something in you, and I decided, man, I just, Paul, Paul can just tell this story. I, I, just, I looked at you, and I saw such zeal that I decided, I'm going to invite you to be an apprentice. And then I had that conversation. Timothy, you remember this? We had this conversation about the circumcision thing. I really need you to do that. Now, that would be a conversation I would remember for the rest of my life. And it goes into that wonderful memory file that serves me for life. And all those amazing adventures for the rest of the second journey and on the third journey and even to prison, Timothy was there. Oh, the memories, the stuff, the layers of that. And so Paul is reminding him of this. He's reminding of this. It's very important. And you know, when we get together in Hebrews chapter 10, it says one of the reasons, the let us, let us, let us thing of Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold on to our confession. Do you know why we're assembling this morning? To hang on one more week to what we know we believe. Why would we forget? You look at this and you think, Timothy, why, Paul, why did you need to say this to Timothy? Why, why did you need to say it? He knows all this. He was there. Why do you need to? Because Timothy was foggy. Life gets you foggy in faith sometimes. Things you should know, suddenly you're not so sure of. Things you used to be so confident of and that you could answer and that you could respond, you could know and you lived your life upon. Life starts battering you a little bit and it gets a little foggy, doesn't it? We remember these things to prove our own faith and so I start bringing up exhibit A and exhibit B and exhibit C and every VBS we do is to help our kids create this. Every VBS we do is to help our kids create this layer. So if you're wondering, why do we do VBS? It doesn't help us at all. It doesn't help the adults at all. It ain't about you. 
It's about providing them this layer. And so one of these days when our kids, I just don't know if I believe, oh, I went to VBS and I went to church camp and we had a youth minister and we had these cool devotionals and all this stuff adds up, adds up, adds up, and that's their memory. And that memory gives them strength, gives them confidence in their faith. The more of those things you can have, the more confidence that they have in themselves. And then finally, it enables us to encourage them too. I look out here and I see people of faith. I see Aaron and Dusty over on this side. I've known them every, I don't think Dusty's here, but Aaron's here. Carson and Colin. I've known them, I think, every day of their life. If they ever decide to turn their back on the faith, I'm coming at them with memory. I'm going to blast them with such memory I'm going to show Dusty, who's not here, I'm going to show him video of him playing baseball on the, at the park. Because when the youth minister goes around, the youth minister goes to your ball game, he's not there for the sport. I just gotta, I'm not there. I'm not there for volleyball. I, I'm there to watch that kid play. Now, when it's Brooklyn, I'm watching. When Valley View, I'm watching. It's a pretty good sport. But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm for those people. And I used to take my video camera. I was cheesy as a youth minister. Cheesy. I admit it, I'd film it, and I've still got it all. And there's a little Dusty out there, his mom and dad telling him where to run. He runs the wrong way, the wrong, and I got all that on video. I was there, I was there. And some of you have so much memory in your head. You remember when Valley View started? Oh, get these old timers who were there. Not really old timers, it wasn't all that long ago. But those who were there for that first service, and they'll talk for three hours, and my eyes will wax over in total boredom. But they will tell that story forever, right? That stuff, this college ministry, is about creating this. And one of these days they're going to move on from that. And one of these days they're going to hit a crisis, and they're going to need. And there's going to be Mitchell showing up, reminding them. It's all about encouraging because our memories get a little weird. For Timothy, here's one reason. We give a, the text gives a couple of reasons. Number one, for Timothy, his loneliness made him foggy. Now, do I need to prove to anybody after COVID that isolation and loneliness can actually fog your memory? Do I need to put any illustration in here? Any illustration? Anybody need an illustration? No, no, you got COVID. We remember. It's still, but, but the idea is this. You know, when Jesus sent people out, how did he send them out? Do you remember? Two by two. I don't want no loners. And you can't think about the Lone Ranger without, oh, that's too old, isn't it? Tonto was his name. Lone Ranger and Tonto, the two people together. That's, you don't have Batman and Robin. You, you have your partners. Nobody does it all alone. Nobody does it all alone. And here's why. Because when you get really frustrated or when something happens to you, you don't have somebody there automatically to build you up. Now, did Paul in prison in Philippi sing at midnight? No, he didn't. Paul and Silas sung at midnight. It wasn't a solo, it was a melody. Melody. And, that's what, and so you need people. We need to be together. And no, watching it online is not the same. It's not the same. We're not just looking for information download when it comes to worship. We're looking for interaction, and I'm trying to trigger your memory of what you already know and make you reminded of that. Timothy's loneliness. How do you know that? Because he left Paul. Paul left him in tears. And Paul mentions it. I left you in tears because Timothy had never worked alone in his life. 
Our memories get foggy because of stressful situations in life. Timothy had to face these opponents, and these opponents were wordy. That's the word that's used all the way through 1 and 2 Timothy. So when Paul, when, when Timothy's trying to correct him, they start getting wordy on him. And, and Timothy just doesn't know how to, how in the world do you harness all that? Anybody in here get overwhelmed with wordiness? Men, raise your hand. I, I don't have to ask. Men, raise your hand. Raise your hand, man. That's the truth, and your wife knows it. If you want to talk, talk to him with limited words. It's called Reader's Digest. Let's digest this into the simplest sentences of all, right? That's why newspapers are written at a fourth grade level. Don't, don't come at us. And that's what they did with Timothy, and he felt so overwhelmed and stressed. It's just like, I don't even know what these people are saying, so I don't know how to defend the truth in front of it. But then there were opponents and a culture that just completely attacked him. And when you start facing this stuff, suddenly everything you know becomes a little bit more vulnerable. Here's how I liken it. Like when Sandra sends that text, and all week long I've been thinking about this. What do you say to her in the midst of that struggle where you know things, you just, this sudden experience is just unlike anything before. It, you've got this mind of yours. This spirit is in your mind, and the Holy Spirit is there, but so is everything else. So you've got this area of your spirit that you nurture a walk with God. You give God room in your life to influence you. But what happens when suddenly into that mind, into that space comes fear or anxiety or doubt or pain? That gets into your mind and suddenly it starts crowding out this area of faithfulness. There's only so much room in your spirit. And, and here's that normally you're like this and it's a spirit of faith and you're, you're walking with God. But suddenly there's, a, 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 there's an intruder and this intruder, intruder is a bully. Things like pain and doubt and frustration and anxiety, they're bullies and they get in your brain and they start bullying for space. And the more space they take up, the less space you have for faith thinking. You've got to find a way to get that space back. You've got to kick that stuff out and give it room for your faith to grow. But how do you do that? How do you do that? By remembering. For Paul, it was a letter. It might be an email for us or a text. For us, it is worship. Do you know that when that pain and when that anxiety and when that fear invades your mind, it talks you out of coming to church? Now, coming to church is not the big thing. It's not about whether you show up one, you miss one week or not. What I'm saying is it starts telling you that you'd rather stay at home in your isolation than go into worship. And suddenly that space of fear and pain gets bigger and the area of faith gets smaller. And what you've got to do is you've got to fight back and you've got to say, no, no, this, this pain's not going to win. This fear's not going to win. This anxiety's not going to win. I am going to worship and I'm broadening my faithfulness and kicking that feeling out. You've got to fight for it because you're going to feel like giving in. That's how it works. You've got events that the church plans. Soto wasn't about marriages. It was about marriages and faithfulness with other people who are married. And it gives you an experience. And for years, they're going to talk about this one as that one member who fell off the horse. They're going to say that. 
and they're gonna talk about the way they dressed up at that thing, but the entire thing is an act of faith you've taken that we had couples that went to the trouble of finding childcare and finding time off and pushing some space into their life to feed their faith and the faith of their marriages. And that alone, regardless of what was done on it, that alone is an experience you share and forever you'll remember and you remind each other of this. relationships and simply your presence can I tell you that every time I see you regardless of where I see you I hope when our eyes connect that faith fuses every time I see you even if it's the craft section at Walmart when I see you the reason the thing I think about is the faith we share Every time I see you, what I think about is the faith we share. And I want it to be a flashback for you. And so we remind each other, even last night at the ASU football game, I had faith people around me. I had Bill Harris over here. I cannot get rowdy and obnoxious against the opponent team with Bill Harris over here. I can't do it. Behind me was... Ben and Hallie Thompson, and over here, right beside me was George, and my wife was down here, and who was down there? What's your name again? I, I forgot his, I just forgot his name. That's terrible. Anyway, he was there. So he was down there, and he's probably the most obnoxious one. He really has to worry about me watching him. But anyway, he's down there, and next to me, was the opposing team's quarterback's parents. And I like to rip the quarterback to shreds. That's just part of my rough talk in the stands. How can I do that when his sweet parents are right here visiting, right? And I'm sitting there going, the whole time, I sat the whole time and said nothing. It was the worst game in history. You cannot say anything. But around me were Christians, and I, every time I see them, every time I see Christians around me, I'm reminded, I know what I believe, they know what I believe, and we're holding each other accountable by simply looking at each other. Here's an example. You know how, and you're probably going to complain that this was a little bit too much information, but the only person whose privacy is violated is mine, so... You know when you hit 50, you're supposed to get a colonoscopy. I go for a colonoscopy. Next thing I know, the oncologist is calling. He says, you've got to come in for an appointment. I said, why? you just got to come in for an appointment. I have no idea. The doctor who did it didn't even tell me anything. So I call Jeff Stidman. That's what I do, right? He tells me what it is. He says, it is a cancer, but listen, don't worry about this. He says, don't worry about this I'm so glad we have Christians who are whatever Jeff is so I don't worry about it but I go to this on college but guess what I'm, I'm I gotta have the mask on gotta go to this part of St. Bernard's where all the cancer patients go it was a sobering walk I walk in that door and these people this is their life this is how they live Every week going in to see the doctor and how's it going and is it shrinking? Is it, and I'm looking at these people, I'm like, this is like, and so, you know, the, the fear gets in there, even though, you know, you, you know, Jeff tells me it's okay, but still that fear's there. And guess who the nurse is who's going to take that private information, right? It's Melissa Dust, one of our members at Army Service. And I'm having to answer questions to her. She says, have you ever drunk before? I have to answer an old patient like from Valley View. I'm like, I got to be honest. And I said, I've 
drunk alcohol before, but it was always at church. And she says, what? Always at church in Albania. That's all they have is wine. And so I have to, oh, well, that's just a little amount. I said, yeah, but we did it three times every Sunday. <clears throat> By that night, I was out, right? That's how weird I am, right? But there was one other time, Success Arkansas. They were having communion. Ask for all this, but hey, if you ask the question, right? So they, they bought, they like to save money on the grape juice for communion. So they buy these great big tubs from Sam's. But there's so few people that by the time they get to the bottom, it's not Welch's grape juice anymore, right? The blood was a buzz that night, that, that day, right? That's what it was, that sun. That's the only time she says, okay, uh, uh, you smoke? No, never smoke. You carouse? Carouse? You're going to use that word, carouse? She was asking all these questions, but here's the beauty of it. It was a fearful time a little bit. Now, the doctor came in. I'll just say the end of the story. The doctor came in and said, they got all this. Don't you worry about it. It's not to, nothing to worry about. You go live the rest of your life. And I said, how long will that be? So I don't know, but it won't, you won't die of this. Great, so it's over. But I looked across the room at Melissa, and Melissa looked at me. And what I knew is we both knew, regardless of how this is, what we believed. We both know what we believe. And when I see you, no matter where it is, it could be at a ball game, you, got you ladies playing volleyball or the guys playing basketball, you may see me in the stands or whatever, and when I see you, I want you to know this. I know what you believe, and you know what I believe, and we share it. And as we look at each other, even if just for a second, I'm encouraging you to remember I'm encouraging you to remember. And I want you to think that every time you see a Valley View member, that's what we believe. But remember this too. It's not just about remembering like a homecoming. You know, we get together for homecoming and renew old times and we laugh a little bit and we go back to normal. This is for a purpose. And I want you to listen to this verse 6. There's a purpose behind this. Remembering is not just a mental exercise of what we know, although it is that. He says in verse 6, for this reason, because I know your faith is real, because you remember and I remember what you know, and we both know what we believe, because of this, for this reason, I remind you, this is not going back in time to remember. This is not a look back, remember. That's what remembering is, a, look, a reflection on looking back. This is a projecting forward thing. Because I know what you believe, I'm reminding you of what you should do now. We both believe this now. What I expect from you is this, and what is expected of me is this. So this is suddenly going from past into the present and future. I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I want you to, it has not gone out. Timothy is not suddenly dying in the faith, but Paul is saying to him, I want you to stir it up, those of you who do paint. If it sits there for a while without stirring, when you open it up, you've got to stir it, because if not, it'll be a very light coat instead of the real paint stuff on the bottom. you got to stir it up. And Paul says to Timothy, I know who you are. I know what you believe. Now live it. Live this thing. This is not something we just get together and remember what we remember. We remember what we know so that we can go out and live it out. God put it in us. Now it needs to come out. The evidence is clear, Timothy. I know what you believe. We serve a God who's gracious, who saw our sin problem, and at great cost to himself, he took care of that sin problem. He sent his son down here. We gathered around that table just a moment ago, and we remembered 
You believe that story, and so do I. And I'm going to hold you to it, and I'm going to remind you of that every week as we gather around this table. But he didn't just save us to save us. He saved us for us to serve him. It has a function. This that we reviewed and rehearsed today has a function in your life this week about living different than just anybody, right? You have a distinct way of life. And every time we see each other, we remember what we know, but we remind ourselves of what we still have to do. So here's what what we know. When you became a believer... When you were baptized, and we all, your name is, those of you baptized here at this building, your name is on the wall back here. There's another memory. When you come and you look up at your name, there's something powerful about that. There's some of you I've witnessed it. Chase Martin over here, baptized a few weeks ago. I saw him growing up in Kennett. Never could get him to church. His, his aunt went there, but we, ne- we worked on it. We could never get And he comes here, and he, and he comes to faith. And I got to be there for his baptism. I was there. And those of you who are there, any time he starts drifting off, we're going to come and we're going to say, I was there, brother. I was there. I remember this. But here's what I know happened. And you know this, too. When you were immersed, baptized into Christ, your sins were forgiven. You'll never ever be lost for your past sin is that true okay wow you'll never be lost for that past sin is that true completely cleansed you were okay and you were then be you received the gift of the holy spirit the holy spirit came into your life is that true now that wasn't to forgive your sin that was to empower you to attack it in the future that's what the spirit's there for He is not here to just make you feel wonderful about the fact you're saved. He's here to say in the future, when that sin comes up again, that temptation, I'm here to help you do battle. That's what the Spirit's in there for. He's a gift from God. And so when he tells Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, you've got it in you. We need to stop arguing about what the Holy Spirit is and start living him out. God moved in. And he wants to come out. That's in your life. He moved in, and he wants to come out. And if he does, he's not going to come out in timidity. God did not place himself in you for you to be a wimpy, weak, very weak witness. God's in you to give you power. That's the first thing. Power. You get that? You've got power. And here's how Timothy expects you to use it. Very next verse. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That power is in there so that when someone attacks you, someone makes you feel uncomfortable, someone belittles you, you have the power to take it. Don't sit there and say, well, I just can't handle it because I'm the only... You've got the power of God in you. We've got to start saying to each other, you know what I know about you? God lives in you, and you need to start acting like it. But that's not the only thing. Chapter 3 says something else. He describes these false teachers. They're treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. You know what it is? These guys claim to be holy but their lives don't show it because the power of God's not in them. This is not about opposition and persecution. This is about temptation and weakness within. These false teachers don't have the Holy Spirit. You can tell 
because they're not overcoming their temptations and their weaknesses. They are not overcoming their sinful selves. The power of God that he gives you through his Holy Spirit is to help you with with, with persecution and help you with temptation. Second thing he says is, you need to, he fills you with love too. Timothy, you need to love your enemies. And so do you, church. We don't pray about this much, but we need to love our enemies. We need to love those people who treat us terribly, right? How in the world do you do that? And how does Timothy live his life fighting these guys while loving them at the same time? How can you, how can you fight against them while loving them? And, and he doesn't answer that in Timothy, but here's one time he does in Romans. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and our endurance produces character, and our character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, that's love of God, love God gives us, has poured into our hearts. Poured. That's a lot. That's not a little. God poured his heart into, our, his love, into our hearts through what? Holy Spirit that has been given. God, when you became a believer and he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit, he filled you with power and you need to live like it. He also filled you with love. And you're going to say, how can I love my enemies? I can't possibly love my enemies. I can't possibly forgive those who who, sinned against me. No, you can't. Not by yourself. But when he gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit, he poured God's very love into your heart and now you need to live out of it. He put it in you, church. He put it in you. Now he wants to see it come out. Last one. Self-control. For some reason, living in a world where no one controls their impulses, no one controls those natural desires of anger and sex and speech, into a world like that, Paul tells Timothy, the Holy Spirit rushes in to help you with self-control. Titus chapter 2, a contemporary passage of this says, Older men, Timothy, you teach them to be self-controlled. You old men in here, what do you need self, Randy, what do you need self-control for? Everything. I'm calling Randy old. That was unforgivable, wasn't it? He's controlling his anger very well over here. Older men, you need to be self-controlled. And, uh, and older ladies, next screen, older ladies, you, you need to, you know, be controlled in your drinking for sure. He says, don't drink much wine. They're to teach what is good, train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled. What do our older and younger women need self-control for in our world? And then the young men, here's a, you see that laundry, go back for a second. You see this laundry list? Look at all that stuff the women need. Look at that. They are such needy people, right? Look at all that stuff they need. Now, the young men only need one thing. And it happens to be self-control. Do you know why, looking at our world, looking at the evening news, looking at the newspaper, do you see why our young men need self-control? You see why our college students need to nurture the Holy Spirit in them to practice self-control in the world we live in? Does it make sense to you? We remember in order to remind. We remember what we know and what we've done in order to remind each other of what we need to do. We've been given the Holy Spirit of God and now we need to live out of him. Let him lead us and guide us and provide us and supply us everything we need for power and love and self-control in a world that lacks all of these. So this morning, 
we've remembered around the table what Jesus has done for us. And now we remind each other, stir it up. Live out what is already in you. God put it there. He blessed you with a gift. Live it out this week. If there's anything you need to do in response to the message this morning, do it now as we stand and as we sing.